and welcome to the next segment of Simon Says Let's Talk Business on Business Radio X. I'm your host, Al Simon, with, with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. And uh, on this show, we talk about high-performing business. We talk with high-performing business professionals about their businesses. And we sharpen our skills. We learn new concepts and ideas. And we share best practices with each other. And we get to know really smart people as a byproduct. Bonus. So listen carefully, take some notes, and look for the contact information of our guests at the end so that you can engage with them if you'd like to, and I'm sure you're going to today. As always, we will conclude our show today with a sales tip from me in our Ask Al segment. So pumped today, we have uh, three folks, uh, great professionals from MST. Uh, maybe the best, got to be the best, right? The best accounting and tax firm on the planet. Well, we, we, we think so. Yeah. yeah. We've been voted it, I'm pretty sure. Been voted, yeah, on, on the planet. You got the plaque that says best on the planet. It's yeah. official. There we go. All right, so the voices you've heard so far, besides mine, of course, are Greg Hayes, uh, Trent Clower, and Heather Fleming. So welcome. Thank you. Heather. Thank you, Al. Greg, Thanks, Al. Trent. Yeah, welcome. So we're... We're going to talk about tax accounting today. We're going to talk about fractional CFO stuff. We're going to talk about cybersecurity, all kinds of great stuff that every business person needs to be up on and maybe plug into someone like MST. Fair? Sounds very good. Let's do it. Okay. So, Heather, let me start with you. I mean, I got a great question for you. Just overall, tell us about MST. Tell us about the market that you serve and the issues that that y'all are getting into these days. Sure. Um, Well, like I said, I'm Heather Fleming with MST, and I'm our business development manager. So we are out in the market looking for privately held businesses. Typically, revenue sizes would range from 10, 250, 300 million in revenue is our typical size. And it's easier for us to say industries. It's a big range, right? That's it a, is a big range. Okay, so you got, it's really, I call that SMB, right? Small, medium business, mostly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And not that we don't have clients smaller than 10 million, and not that we don't have clients bigger than 300 million. That's just kind of our target market. And mostly privately held, right? Privately held, okay. not, not for profit. Okay. Um, foundations. So that's. Um, so that's what I was going to say. That it's easier for us to say who we don't typically work with. Sounds like it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we like to focus on the privately held, and we don't go after publicly traded companies. We're good at what we do, so we just stick with those privately held companies. Um, Me too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I Makes like privately held companies. Yes. Yeah. Um, we a lot. I would. I know Greg and I both have come from families of entrepreneurs, so that we like that side of the business and um, helping people that have it's their life livelihood you know so we get to help much them. more passion right yeah. the passion level is a lot higher when you're talking to owners partners people who have a stake exactly yeah. you, you talked about that revenue range you know i think we have a lot of long-term clients that start on the lower end of that range and then over the lifetime uh, with them we've seen them grow to the, the large end so those are fun for us and, and great for the clients that's too. because they're getting their sales training from us and their accounting and tax from <laughs> there you go there you go that's why they grow so fast that's right i mean it's a no-brainer exactly you know I mean? yeah yes huh? and it, that it is fun to get to see your clients go from that smaller company to the larger company and helping them through that process yeah but the other c- industries that we probably don't typically work with are your um highly regulated industries so like hospitals banks 
um, we're not typically going after those types okay. of companies. Makes sense. So is it is it mostly mostly well you said you mentioned nonprofits, but also just business, right? Right. I, I think business. just you know general business, um, many times multi generational ownership yes. where it has passed to second and third generation, uh, but typically entrepreneurially owned. Uh, you know, construction, manufacturing, distribution, technology. Uh, you know, as Heather said, it really cuts across a wide variety of industries, but typically staying away from what we would call really highly regulated industries. But l- let me ask you a question about that because, you know, obviously you would work with startups and you know, you know, you know, and spinoffs and all, but but you do start you know officially at ten million. So that means these folks already have somebody they're working with, most of them, right? Yes. So right. why do they switch to MST? Oh, that's a great question. I, I would say typically um, when a company is smaller in a startup stage, their needs are more compliance-based. It's more about just getting the tax returns done mm-hmm. and getting things handled. As the complexity and size of the business grows, uh, the needs change. There's a higher need for planning and sort of idea generation. You know, at, at a certain level, taxes become real. And so the um, the planning aspect um, of, of what your CPA provides become much more important than just the compliance and the tax filings themselves. Okay. And, and they may not feel comfortable that their current firm can handle T- it as well or – Typically, we would see that smaller firms are more compliance-oriented and don't have the resources and skills and sort of exposure for um, more sophisticated planning. Okay. seems like a lot of times we see clients, they start to realize that on their own. You know, like, hey, maybe there's probably more out there that we need to be talking about, and they come to look, you know, to a firm like MST okay. for help. And then those kinds of things that they might be needing to look it out for are things like, uh, the new tax laws, right, and, cyber, and cybersecurity issues and so on? That's right. So where should we start? Which one of those do you want to tackle first? <laughs> well, tax credits. Yeah, yeah. You know, since um, the tax law is in the throes of negotiation with Congress, that's probably a pretty good place to start because it is a bit of a, a, bit of a hot topic. Uh, I will say, though, let, let's talk about a tax sort of COVID-related matter that is – a little bit in the rearview mirror right now, mm. but is extremely important uh, for 2021 especially, and that's the employee retention credit. Yes. Um, so for the in a in a recent piece of legislation, the uh, that credit was um, deleted for the fourth quarter of 2021. So it is no longer in place right now. However, it is still effective. For the first three quarters of 2021 and if you are eligible for the credit as a as an employer uh, you can still go back and file amended tax returns and get that credit okay um, and it is as high as seven thousand dollars per employee per quarter and the numbers if you qualify uh, the the amounts of that credit uh, can be staggering i mean we've gotten several clients who have gotten over a million dollars per quarter in credit and this is not a credit that you have to wait until future years to realize on some tax return is sort of you know vapor credit this is an actual refund check that you get from the irs as part of your payroll tax filing okay so this is a big deal and 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 can you can you give our listeners a little idea what it 
what it takes to qualify? It is. There are revenue tests, and so you're going to compare um, on, on a quarterly basis. You compare your 2021 top line revenue to the same period in 2019. Okay. And if there is a 20% decline, then you qualify for the credit for that quarter, and then there are ways you can automatically qualify for the following quarter. But if you qualify for a given quarter, you do a computation, and I, you know it is not – um, difficult to uh, compute or obtain. I okay. wouldn't recommend anybody try to do it internally themselves, but it is not a lengthy process to to file and obtain this credit. And even if you, have, you know, obviously you will have already filed your first three quarters payroll tax returns at this point, you amend those and obtain the credit. Okay, so you can guide them through that process. Correct. All right. Wow, and I want to say that this was such a big topic and thing that was coming up in our clients that we actually put together a team at our firm that work had specialized on the ERC credit this year. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's been a very, uh, you know, it designed as a um, COVID uh, benefit. And I think, uh, you know, uh, other than the fact that it's taking the IRS a while to process these refund claims, I mean, it does in fact put money in the pockets of business to that they you know you can spend this money however you want you you don't have to maintain certain employment levels you don't have to spend it on payroll it is just a refund of tax and you deploy it in the business however you see fit okay it's just to make up for lost business and it's very powerful all right sounds like it feels like if ppp was kind of the big program 2020 erc was sort of the big one for 2021 that was real yeah and and erc was in place in 2020 but it was much more difficult to obtain and the benefits were smaller so they sort of supercharged it for 2021 and that may be one reason uh that it is no longer uh in existence for the fourth quarter because i think it was uh, heavily utilized but we still um talk to people yeah who, for whatever reason, haven't run the test, haven't looked at it, think they won't qualify for it. And it and it may be even that you, not necessarily a bad quarter in 2021, but maybe you had a really great quarter in 2019. And that compared to a more normal quarter in 21, you could still qualify. Okay. So it's, it is absolutely, it's just essential that every employer run those tests and satisfy yourself that you do or don't qualify that's that's great that's really good to know that's out there for people yeah do you find that most of your clients are getting their feedback under them now economically i i personally do i mean in, and again in the industries we serve um you know we 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 frankly don't do a lot of hospitality or restaurants those mm. people obviously suffered greatly but our clients who support the real estate industry or technology, you know, I don't want to say they didn't miss a beat, but um, I think 2020 was a very successful year for a lot of those clients. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I mean, some of the COVID programs helped and helped them to sort of get over the hump when, right. when things were uh, really off the rails. Um, but I think our clients have kept their feet under them. I mean, the, the problems they're having now are more supply chain oriented and uh, having enough um, labor on hand to get things done. Yes. Those are the challenges. Those are the big issues, yes. We, yep. We're seeing that, too, with our clients as well. Okay, and then, and, and, and Trent, tell us about what's the latest in cybersecurity. 
Sure. Issues. So yeah, and, and my background is more on the audit side. So um, you know, like Heather mentioned, our clients. I'm usually doing audits of um, privately held companies, nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of that, we evaluate their internal controls, and you know, we have had clients run into issues um, with cybersecurity. So we always like to talk about it to make sure. Uh, people are staying diligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, often when we've seen clients or companies run into problems, it's usually more social engineering, phishing type um, type activities, Is it? Um, and and then involving ransomware and things like that, uh, which can be a huge headache. I mean, we've had clients um, that luckily had backups, but had to regenerate files and, and regenerate general ledger systems and things like that based on. Um, cyber attacks. So we just always like to mention it because <laughs> because it is such a big deal and, and uh, can have such an impact on a company. So is there, is there a way that they can know that they might be vulnerable? Uh, you know, we, we've partnered with some other cybersecurity firms that can come out and do an analysis, that mm-hmm. type of thing, to, to help them and see where their weaknesses are, see their weak points. Um, you know, that's probably something that would be valuable for a lot of companies to do. Um, Everybody is vulnerable. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, we are, our, our firm internally, we do, we have someone come out and test us, um, see how our firm does. You know, they, every once in a while we'll get an email and it looks fishy and it's usually our IT director has sent out this email that's trying to see who clicks on it. So then you find <laughs> out if your name was on the list of, you know, the people that got fooled that clicked on the email or they'll even, they'll, uh, sometimes when they come test us, they'll drop thumb drives on the floor in the hallway and see if anyone picks it up and and that's a test just to see how smart is your firm how smart is your company at uh you know seeing that hey if there's a random thumb drive on the ground you don't pick it up and put it in your computer but don't do it <laughs> <laughs> there's a voice that comes over the intercom don't yeah. do it we okay. were as an auditor you know a lot of times we're out at clients sitting around a conference room table working in a team of you know, four or five people. And we had one day we were sitting there and an email came through and we were all just sitting there going, that's not real. That's, that's from our <laughs> it guy. That can't be a real email, you know? And I think, you know, should anyone click on it? I don't, I don't think anyone did luckily that day. So he's got to make it more, more, more uh, realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even through onboarding with the company, we have to take that cybersecurity class test right. mm-hmm. and it talks about that exact thing don't pick up the thumb drive right yeah. <laughs> random thumb drive and plug it into your computer right. so as a company we do a good job i think of educating right. our employees so we want our clients to do the same with their employees yeah and the data that y'all are working with is very very sensitive data right for your clients right. so i mean you've really got to get good at this don't you absolutely right. oh man okay all right, so what uh, – and, and uh, okay, you all mentioned to me also a uh, fractional CFO. So I think I know what that is, but some of our listeners may not know what that is. What is fractional CFO services? Sure, so – and I'll – Greg and Heather, you all can jump in too. I mean, one of the growing part of our business has been sort of a, uh, client accounting services. Uh, we call it CAS. And so uh, it's where we can step in and kind of provide – uh, sort of a part-time CFO controller type role for companies that maybe they're not big enough to really need a full-time controller CFO at this right. point, uh, but they still want someone with accounting expertise to come in and, and to help them and to help close the books, um, provide a, extra analysis, dashboarding, things like that. Um, so we have a team um, that, that provides those types of services, and we've seen a lot of growth there um, just because... So uh, you're acting as though you were your client's CFO or... Right. Okay. All right. And that is those, probably those are those companies that are under that $10 million mark Okay. because they're still small and growing. And like Trent said, they're just not at that point yet to hire a full-time controller or okay. CFO. 
So those companies are typically below the $10 million. Well, how, about, how about someone that's in, in, like in transition? Like maybe they lost their CFO, retired or whatever. And Perfect. And they don't have one yet to hire, so they're, they need someone right. to step in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of an a la carte mm-hmm. uh, service. And, I mean, it can be, you know, the, con- the CFO level service. It could be uh, back office support, bill pay, uh, you know, you name it. Yeah, Sometimes for, it's almost, um, or even a lower low, like a staff accountant type service. So maybe you do have a controller, but you haven't been able to fill this other position because, again, of the labor issues and that type of thing. And, and so they'll ask us to come in and, and help out wherever needed. Okay. So you, you, talk, you talk about outsourced accounting. The fractional CFO is like a subset of that, right? Right. Because you can do all kinds of different right different roles, okay, different tasks. Excellent. All right. And then, and then, and Trent, you mentioned that you, your your focus is really an audit, and and, um, and 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 you you talked a little bit to me earlier about grants. Yeah, we've seen. You know, it used to be it was mostly worried about that on the nonprofit side, but then with so many of the programs and things that have come out uh, since COVID, uh, you know, we've seen some of our for profit clients uh, receive some grants that were very beneficial, uh, some federal grant money. Uh, but it's just important to keep up with any strings that may be attached because some of those do have audit requirements so we've seen uh, movie theaters for instance that receive the shuttered venue operator grants and that that may uh, trigger some single audits or some other audit type requirements and and some of that guidance is still in progress i was on uh, some calls with the aicpa this week so they're still waiting on some of the guidance Uh, but again it's just something to keep an eye on medical practices was another so uh, there was a provider relief fund that came out. So a lot of doctor's offices that didn't have audit requirements in the past uh, received grants during COVID, and now there are some audit requirements possibly attached to those as well. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Definitely um, a good thing. Anytime you're receiving federal money just to see, you know, is this going to trigger some other type of single audit or some other audit requirement, definitely t- something to talk to your CPA about. Okay. Or if their CPA doesn't know what to do about that. That's right. Come talk to MST. Come off, talk to MST. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is Al Simon with Sander Training and your host for Simon Says Let's Talk Business. And in our show today, we've got uh, three professionals from MST. And uh, just a really, really top-notch, award-winning, best on the planet, on the planet, <laughs> uh, uh, audit and tax firm, and just general accounting, right? Anything else that that uh, you want to say about what you can do and what people might be wanting to contact you about? You know, there's there's a lot of M&A activity over the last two years, and we're always uh, help our clients through that. I know, Greg, you're involved yeah. in a lot of that as well. Yeah, sort of uh, transactional assistance. Uh, you know, if a business owner is uh, approached by a, uh, a potential acquirer um, or if, you know, a client of ours wants to acquire a business, I mean, there are a uh, there are a host of things that we can assist on, um, both from a tax advice, um, helping to negotiate the actual price and deal and uh, do quality of earnings uh, studies. There are a, a number of things that we can help with there. And there is uh, a tremendous amount of activity, uh, business acquisitions, private equity in the market, um, driving a lot of that and okay you get you know these business owners who build and grow these companies get one shot at uh at doing a, a deal like that and so it's essential that they get both good legal and tax uh, representation on that how far ahead should they plan is there a rule of thumb on that no i don't i don't think you plan ahead i think you run your business 
grow it uh, and you know that's going to drive the value of it focus on the business and you know trust me in this marketplace you're going to be approached uh, by acquirers um, and that process is going to take a while but uh, you know if you're running your business to grow the value and as you should you don't need to be planning ahead for such a transaction okay it's not like if you're going to sell your home, you got to make sure you paint and all that kind of stuff, right? It's just, <laughs> right. The, yeah. Any buyer that comes is, is going to be looking at the past three or four years uh, of financial information, and they're smart enough to know. I mean, for a you know for a private company, that uh, oftentimes there are adjustments that need to be made to the earnings for things that may be in a private company that are not going to be in an acquired company, um, but you know there's nothing you can do sort of in a very short period of time to get ready for sale it's it's going to be over a long uh, a long period okay i will say what what i want to jump in on is talking to some prospects and clients that have that in mind there are they are they have that in mind like i'm building this company knowing that this part of the company i do want to sell one day this part of the company is going to be what i'm going to keep okay and so they come to us for that strategy behind, okay, how, what's the right way to set this up so that when I do want to sell company A, how should it be structured? I mean, in terms of like assets and liabilities and how those are all? I mean, yeah. you, entity structure. Yeah, entity structure. Instance. Who owns what? Like, okay. you know, if I'm a C Corp, an S Corp, an LLC, like how do we structure that the right way that's the most beneficial and your tax, li- tax you know, liability that's going to come along with a sale of a company and, right um, okay. so that I have seen and when I'm out talking to prospects that they some are thinking about that ahead of time knowing especially these technology companies because that's that's a very very hot market and these companies getting acquired and um, so de- definitely technology companies are they're thinking about that not planning ahead necessarily to just but thinking ahead of like how best to structure. Yes. We see it on the audit side as well. A lot of yeah. companies will decide, you know, I probably ought to get an audit because a year or two from now I may be looking at selling and, and uh, having that audit is going to make you more marketable when the time comes. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. So is the audit like a prerequisite to like business valuation? Uh, it's not necessarily a requirement, but it is something I, a buyer is going to look at and it's going to help. I think know, it enhances the, the confidence um, oh, okay. in the in the financial data that they're viewing. You also yeah. usually are going to go through a due diligence process. If you've already had an audit, that process tends to be much smoother than if you're a company that has never been audited. And so no one's really, ver- you know, third-party verified numbers and records mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. If you've been through an audit for a year or two, it's going to be the due diligence process will be smoother. Yeah. Okay. It's a little foreign uh, concept to me as someone who's always thought that you need to try to avoid audits, right? Right. Do, do your reporting correctly <laughs> so you don't get audited. But you're yeah. saying it's good in some situations. Right. So. Our clients have chosen us to be their auditors. Yeah, yeah, we'll put it that yeah, way. We don't come yeah. in and surprise them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. We're, we're your friends. That's right. Not little, like some little, of those other auditors. Yeah. 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 A little different. But that word just send, you know, yeah. sends chills. Of course, y'all deal with those kinds of words, tax, right. audit. <laughs> those words that most people I, I get kind of scared of. But uh, So this is great, y'all. I appreciate it. Uh, Heather and, and, and Trent and Greg, thank you for joining us today. And Simon says, let's talk business. Great professionals from MST. And our listeners, you're going to want to get a hold of these folks. And, and Heather, what's the best way to do that? 
Um, well, I think the best way would just uh, – my email address is H Fleming F-L-E-M-I-N-G, at M-S-T-I-L-L-E-R, mstiller.com. Um, shoot me an email. I'm on LinkedIn, Heather Fleming, with, and it's MST as the business. And, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Connect with me through email would be great. Um, our website is – is under construction <laughs> I guess is the best way it's there <laughs> but it is under construction so I don't even think I'm listed on the website so that's probably not a great Listen. Greg Greg and Trent are on there so you could find them for sure but you know what just actually a phone call or a face-to-face yes. meeting is better than a website <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. it really is yes speaking yes. in terms of selling yeah that's always good and buying for that matter yes. yeah. yeah so yeah how about our listeners uh, uh connect with you on your on your uh on your email that'd be good yes so yeah. it's, so it's h fleming one m one m h fleming at mstiller.com that's it mstiller.com excellent all right well heather thanks for joining us yes thanks yeah. for having Great. us Al. Yes, Trent. Thank, thank you, you Al. Us. yeah and uh and so yeah mst awesome firm and uh as, as a business owner i can tell you you need someone like them in your court so contact heather that'd be great stuff all right, so as usual, we're going to end our show today uh, with a sales tip. Once again, this is Al Simon with Sandler Training by Simon, Inc., and the show is Simon Says Let's Talk Business. And, and what we do every time is we have listeners that send in sales-related questions, uh, hoping on the edges of their seats to see if their question is selected on the next show. Uh, and so if you'd like to actually, if you have a sales question and you want to submit it to me, uh, send it to my email address, which is al.simon at sandler.com. Al.simon, S-I-M-O-N, at sandler.com, S-A-N-D-L-E-R. And send me your, uh, your, your sales question. Today's question uh, that I selected to answer is, this is a good one, what's the best way to discuss price and get to the yes <laughs> discuss price and get to the yes and then like a follow-up uh she says should i try to skip or speed over the price or cost to get to the yes um the quick answer is don't skip over it don't do it most of my career most of my uh corporate selling career before uh sandler i call those my bs days before sandler get it yeah uh, and I was I was 22 years as a sales corporate sales guy before I knew Sandler Concepts, and I never used to bring up the investment. And of course, the prospect called it cost or price, um, fees. That's in your world, right? The MST it's fees, probably. But uh, I never used to bring it up until the proposal. Right? Then you show them the proposal, and then they were always like, "What?" I had one guy say, "Al, you've got some nerve bringing me this proposal." <laughs> And this is after, you know, I've already, you know, spent a lot of my own time, brought in product specialists, engineers, people. I mean, you know, so there's an awful lot of investment on my part already in the deal just to get to proposal stage. And that's when I find out that they don't have enough budget for it. And that's crazy. That is crazy. You just, just can't do it that way. But I didn't know any other way back in the day. And I've noticed that people still today like to avoid the question of cost. And so I would suggest that you don't avoid it. I would suggest that you meet it actually fairly close to the front of the selling conversations. Uh, as soon as you know that there is a potential deal 
and you ask them some questions about the scope and what they're trying to accomplish and, you know, what are their challenges and so on, you know, things that we call pain in our world. Uh, once you've had that conversation, then right away, you know, go into ballpark. What is the investment going to be? And, and the and investment's not just in money because most of our clients, they're, they're asking their clients to also invest you know, in time and effort, resources to do business. So the investment is actually a pretty broad discussion. And it is investment. It's not cost. It's not price. And uh, so it would be good to make sure that your prospects understand that you consider it an investment, that there's going to be an ROI, uh, so that they don't look at it, at it as an expense because people want to eliminate expenses and increase investment. So if you keep calling it an investment, they will eventually get the point. Like I, I, was, I, I had one prospect, and I kept saying investment. He kept saying cost. I said investment. He said cost. I said investment. He said cost. Finally, he says, Al, okay, I get it. <laughs> so now we're talking. So, so in other words, yeah, so meet it up front. You know, find out if they're both willing and able to invest, ballpark, enough money, time, and effort to do business together. And then if the answer is yes, then, you know, you can talk about how they would go about making that decision and then go ahead, uh, you know, and, uh, and render a proposal. So it's got to be budgeted or, or funded or, or it's got to be able to be budgeted or funded uh, fairly easily in order to really qualify as a qualified prospect under the investment arena. And so meet it up front. Meet it soon. So that's the sales tip for today from Al Simon uh, at Sandler Training by Simon, Inc. And this has been Simon Says Let's Talk Business on Business Radio X. And as always, good selling. Good selling.